Robert Downey Jr., as I wrote in the email, came with the bulletin. An actor, producer. And as I said early on in his career, he was very successful. But his success came to an end due to drug abuse. His drug abuse or drug usage started when he was at the age of six because his father, Robert Downey Sr., let him smoke pot. Probably was difficult to grow up that way, being exposed to drugs at an early age and continuing on in them. His success came to an end because of drug use and a jail sentence, six months the first time. Later, as I said in the article, it would be three years in the California Substance Abuse Treatment Facility in state prison. Fortunately for him, he was released after a year, time served, appeals, etc., with his team of attorneys. He had about five years of problems with drugs and arrests, and then he worked on his behavior and his recovery. He credits a lot of his recovery to his, after going through a couple of divorces, to his current wife, who encouraged him, turned to looking at things of faith, Jewish faith, and probably a melting pot of faith plans. But he was successful once again. The only problem that he faced was that a lot of movie companies couldn't get a bond for him because if he failed to show for some reason, they might be out a lot of money that they might have to put up because the movie would collapse until Mel Gibson put up a bond for him. Robert Downey Jr. became known as Iron Man, Tony Stark in the Marvel series of movies. Ryan Holiday wrote in his book, The Enemy, The Ego is the Enemy, said, Ego is dangerous when you are aspiring to something, no question, but when you are successful, you've built this thing and then you're trying to do your next thing. When you're convinced that everything you touch turns to gold, that's where ego becomes most destructive. I imagine that Robert Downey Jr.'s ego got the best of him and he continued on into the drug abuse and problems until he finally realized that was the problem. And he got rid of some of his ego, undoubtedly. Faith is sometimes fragile. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. If you take your eyes off of God... You're walking by sight, not by faith. I'm still amazed at Enoch in Genesis chapter 12 and the genealogies that are left, Genesis chapter 10 and the genealogies there, that he lived such a short time and it just simply says, Enoch walked with God and God took him. Enoch didn't die. One of only two men in scripture that didn't die, Elijah, was the other one. Enoch walked with God. If we walk with God, I'm not saying we won't die like Enoch did, but if we walk with God, we can be assured of our home in heaven. This morning, I want us to consider, and you may have guessed it from my sermon title that I put in the email, I want to consider David, his faith and his walk with God. David is considered to be a man after God's own heart. 
And David started quite strong. He really did. But before we get to his starting strong, we have to realize some things about King Saul and how he lost the throne. You see, Israel wanted a king. They demanded a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations in the world, their neighboring nations. And so God gave them a king. It was going to be Saul. Fighting the Philistines, and then in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, it says in verse 8, Saul was at Gilgal, verse 11. All the people followed him trembling. They were ready to fight these Philistines. Saul says in verse 8, He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But when Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him, so Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Saul went out to greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? I saw, when I saw the people were scattering from me, that you did not come with in the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded. That was his first big mistake. And we'll talk about him, the nature of that mistake as well in comparison to David. But the next one came in chapter 15. God sent him out to destroy the Amalekites because of what they had done. Go strike Amalek, First Samuel 15, verse 3. Go strike Amalek and devote to destruction all they have. Do not spare them, but, both man, but kill both man and woman and child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. And so that's what they did, but he spared the life of Agag and a few others were spared as well. They got away. The best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatted calves, and the lambs, all that was good they would not utterly destroy. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. God said devote everything to destruction. Nothing, no one is to be left. It's all to be destroyed. God regretted putting Saul in his king. Samuel comes and Saul just greets him probably like normal. Verse 13. In verse 14, Samuel says, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears, the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Samuel said, Stop. I'll tell you what the Lord said to me this night. He said, speak. Though you are little in your own eyes and are not the head of the tribes of Israel, the Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission. said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. 
I have gone on the mission which the Lord has sent me. I have brought Agag, king of Amalek, and have devoted the, the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the best of the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. He didn't do what God had commanded him to do, and so he loses the throne. That's the back setting, and we'll talk about that in comparison a little bit, about David. Because David started well. You know, in chapter 16, right after this, we know that God has decided that Saul's not the man. He's seeking one after his own heart, and he sends Samuel up to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He goes there and he says, we're going to have a sacrifice. Probably told him the Lord's got a mission for him. All of his sons are there. And Samuel sees the first one and says, surely this is the man that God has chosen. And God says, no, don't look on the outward appearance. I, the Lord looks, sees not as a man sees. The man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. All of the other brothers go through and none of them. Well, none of them are the one. And so Samuel just asks God, or asks Jesse, do you have any other sons? Well, there's David. He's out tending the sheep. The youngest one of the seven, most likely, getting the duty of tending the sheep. Well, they call for sin for David, and of course he's anointed king. But I want you to think about David. What was he doing out there watching the sheep? Well, he's doing what any young shepherd boy. He's got a responsibility out there. He's got to make sure those sheep find food and water. He's got to protect them from evil men and animals. But that doesn't occupy 100% of his day. So what else is he doing? Well, maybe he was composing some of the Psalms. Maybe he was definitely reflecting on what God's word had said. You know, the very first of the Psalms, Psalm 1, it simply says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Where is your delight? David was, his delight had to be in the law of the Lord. I'm not saying David wrote this psalm. But to me, it speaks of one who is really seeking God. They're delighting in the law of the Lord. It is their life, their sustenance. As Moses said to Israel in the wilderness, man shall not live by bread alone. We live by what God gives us. Jesus said when he was tempted in, in the desert, when Satan said, here's a stone, turn it into bread. You've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. You haven't had anything to eat. You're hungry, I know. There's a stone. Turn it into bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That was the character of David. As we look on in Psalm 1, verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff, that the wind dries away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I believe that David, in addition to out there throwing rocks with his sling, practicing just in case a wild animal would come up so he could hit it, 
that he was contemplating the law of the Lord, that he was meditating upon it, on the Lord's goodness, and what that would mean for him and his family as he walked faithfully with God. And so God saw that. Here is one who is after my heart, and God chose him to be king in Israel. And we know the story after he was anointed king in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We see that David goes and Goliath is there gathered. It's a battle. David's going to check on his brothers to take them some food at the, at the request or order of their father, Jesse. So he hears this Philistine. He wonders who this man is and why he is shouting the things that he is against God blaspheming him. And so David says, I'll take him on. And he goes to Saul. We know the story. And because of time, I'm not going to read the story. But we know the story. He goes to Saul and says, I will do it. Saul tries to put his armor on him. It doesn't fit. David's not familiar with it. And so he says, no, I'm not going to wear that. I can't. It's not tested. It's not for me. It's for you. David's a small lad. I don't know how old he was at this time, but he wasn't as large in stature probably as Saul was. So he grabs some stones. We know the story. And he goes and he's there standing against Goliath. And Goliath looks at him and it says in verse 42, disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? You just want me to play with me? Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give you your flesh to the give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. God of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. You see, the difference between Goliath and David was Goliath said, this is all about me. I can do this. And David said, you may be a giant, but God's on my side. I come to you in his name and he's going to deliver you into my hand. I'll strike you down. I'll cut off your head and I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Then we know David was successful. And soon after that, because God had sent a spirit to, to Saul, drove him mad. David was playing the liar in his court. And though David has now achieved greatness in the eyes of the people, David would go out in battles and soon it would be that the song would be, this refrain would be, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul became jealous. You see, it was his throne and he wanted to hold on to it. He wanted to give it to his kids. It wasn't about God and him serving God. Well, after several attempts, David flees and we know the story. That Saul continued to pursue him. In First Samuel... Chapter 24, David is right there. He can kill him. You see, David's hiding out with his men in a cave. 
Saul goes on to relieve himself. David is what well, it would take nothing, just a quick move, and Saul is dead. No one on earth would have would have thought anything ill of David for doing that because here's his enemy, sworn to kill him, and now David takes it. But what does David do? He doesn't do that. He just takes stealth, rose stealthily, cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, it struck him in his heart because he'd cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do anything to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, by putting out my hand against him, seeing the Lord's, he is the Lord's anointed. They didn't go further and didn't attack Saul. That would happen once again in chapter 26. In chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. They're out there camped. David goes down and steals his water jug and his spear. And he holds it out. But his servant, when they were there, saw Saul sleeping, said, David, said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand. Now let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I'll not strike him twice. It'll just take one blow. He'll be dead. You won't have to worry about this. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And I love this part. And the David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Take a spear at his head, take his jar of water and let us go. Well, that was the end. Saul realized and stopped pursuing David. But you see, David was having great success. And I think his ego perhaps got the best of him. Much like what Ryan Holiday said, ego is dangerous when you're aspiring to something. But when you're successful, you've built this thing and then you're trying to do your next. You're convinced that anything you touch will turn to gold. You see, that's where David's downfall was, I think. His ego started getting the best of him. We know of his rise to the throne then. Saul is killed. David is king. He's having great success. Second Samuel chapter 7. God tells him, when your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's a messianic prophecy of Jesus coming from David, the line of David. You see, David had great success, a great promise. I don't know what he really thought about that promise. It was kind of veiled, perhaps, in his mind. But I do know that he had promises of God. He was God's anointed. And he wouldn't lay his hand against God's anointed. He would allow God to take care of the situation. But his ego, as I said earlier, got the best of him. Having great success on the battlefield... In chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, it just says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabah. But David remained in Jerusalem. 
There's a time when the kings were supposed to be leading their men, but David didn't do so. Yeah, they can handle it. I am king. I'm going to sit back and relax. I'm going to think about what else I can do. I don't know that's his actual thought. We're not told. But I think he just started relaxing. He lets his guard down. And it happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent and inquired about the woman. One said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers to and took her. She came to him, and he lay with her. Committed adultery. That's bad. The death penalty was for adultery. She conceives a child. She tells David, I'm pregnant. Now he's got a, really got a problem because if she would have gotten pregnant, no one could have found out. Oh, yeah, there might have been rumors and innuendo, but no proof. She's pregnant. What do you do? Well, I'll bring her husband down, get him drunk. and You know the story. Two occasions got him drunk, but Uriah was an honorable man. He wasn't going to go home to his wife. So David sends him with a message to Joab. Put him in the hottest part of the battle and then fall back so that he's killed. I don't know what Joab was thinking at that time, but hey, this is the order of the king. Let's do it. Uriah must have done something pretty bad. I don't think it took him too long to figure out what David had done when David quickly marries Uriah's wife. Well, we know the story. That's David's fall. There would be strife in his house wherever his son would would rape a daughter. Another son would kill that brother. There would be strife. There would be a revolution trying to take the throne from David. Strife in his house. Later on, after God had delivered him from this, there's still strife that would follow him. In 2 Samuel... Chapter 24, one of those occasions of strife, things going bad for David. David ordered a census. Verse 1, and again, again the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He incited David against them, saying, go number Israel and Judah. So Chronicles will tell us Satan incited David. Either way, God permitted it to happen. It was done directly by Satan, but God permitted it. Satan, David decides to go number Israel and Judah. The king said to Joab, go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, number all the people that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, may the Lord your God add a people a hundred times as many as they are while you are the eyes of the Lord, the king see it. But why does my Lord delight, the king delight in this thing? Well, David insisted. And while a census was not totally unacceptable to God, this one was because it was probably a military census to determine how strong Israel would be if they could conscript all the able-bodied men into service. You know, God took a young man by the name of David and killed a giant. In Judges chapter 6, he took a man who was threshing wheat in a wine press. And he led Israel with 300 men to defeat the Midianites. 
You see, David was taking it upon himself to do it. It is me. And he started walking by sight and not by faith. But fortunately, it ended well. Because prior to that sentence, prior to the revolution led by Absalom in 2 Samuel 13, we read of Nathan confronting David. Turn to it there. 2 Samuel 13, or verse 12, Nathan goes there and confronts him, tells him a parable, and David pronounces judgment upon it. And Nathan just said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in your sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes. Give them to your neighbor. What you did in secretly, and I'm skipping for time. What you did in secretly, I will do this thing before all of Israel. Pretty strong judgment. Pretty strong judgment on King Saul. But King Saul had excuses. Samuel, you were late in coming here. And I had to offer the sacrifice so I could appeal to God to bless us. Samuel's thinking, Saul, that wasn't in your purview to do. That wasn't in your job description as king. That's my job. Why did you take it upon you? God's chosen another. Amalekites. You're supposed to kill them all, Saul. Why have you saved some for destruction? Why didn't you totally eradicate this people? Well, we, the people, they kept these things back. It wasn't my doing. You see, Saul had excuses. But look at David here. Verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child whom you is born to you in this shall die. And Nathan leaves. You see, it ended well because David was a man after God's own heart because he was a penitent man. In Luke chapter 16, we have the story of a young man who said, Father, I want my inheritance. Give it to me now. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want it today. We know the story. He goes off into a far country. He lives a wild life and the money runs out. There's a famine in the land and his friends run out. He finally finds a job working for some Gentile who's raising pigs. He wants to eat their food. Then he comes to himself. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll go to my father and return to him. I'll say, I'm not worthy to be your son, but I will be your servant. He goes. And his father sees him far off and recognizes him, runs to him. And as his father, as he starts to say what he's planned to say, his father says, my son. Puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, sandals on his feet. 
You've come home. You see, David left God when he committed that sin, but he came home when he was confronted by Nathan and said, you're the man. Lord, forgive me. That was the difference with Saul. David stopped walking by faith for a little bit, and it had disastrous consequences in his life. Saul didn't accept his responsibility, therefore did not repent. David did accept his responsibility and his sin, and he repented, and God forgave him. You and I have choices to make. You can walk by faith, or you can walk by sight. If you're walking by faith, you'll listen to the things of God, and you'll strive to be pleasing to Him in all things, at all times. Or you can walk by sight. And when you sin, if you're walking by faith, you'll know that God is a loving, merciful God, and He longs to restore you to sonship. Or you can just make excuses and choose to live like Saul and not accept responsibility for your actions and stay in your sin. Our song is number 936, Lord, I'm Coming Home. That's what David did. You see, he sinned, but he came home. He didn't know the story of the prodigal son. He just knew the mercy of God. Why? Because he meditated on the law of the Lord day and night. It was his delight. And it was in his heart. And he knew when he sinned, he needed to get right with God. So he admitted it. Lord, forgive me. That's all we can ask. If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus today, won't you please come to him for whatever reason you may have while we stand and sing this song for your encouragement. I'm